Do you wish there was a life insurance company that understood your unique needs as a ketogenic dieter? Well, let me introduce you to Health IQ. Go to healthiq.com slash low carb. Use the promo code low carb when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Health IQ uses science and data to secure the lowest rates on life insurance for health conscious people, including runners, cyclists, strength trainers, and yes, even you, the ketogenic dieter. 56% of Health IQ customers will save between 4 and 33% on life insurance, and these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. Just like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. Go to healthiq.com slash low carb and be sure to mention the promo code low carb when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Health IQ. Today's featured audio is from the 2017 Low Carb Cruise. Go to lowcarbcruiseinfo.com to join us in 2018 for two exciting cruises, the 11th annual Low Carb Cruise coming May 20th through the 27th, and then a bonus Keto 101 cruise coming September 23rd through the 30th, 2018. Get full details at lowcarbcruiseinfo.com. Coming up in episode 1347, the medical Q&A panel from the 2017 Low Carb Cruise. Connecting and educating and making the world a more informed and healthier place. You're listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. You've helped change so many lives and give us all the courage to take on the rest of the world. This is the longest running health podcast on the air today. You've done so much to spread the word about how diet matters. Over 1,000 episodes strong and counting. The amount of lives that you've changed at this point is incalculable. And now, here's our host and international best-selling author you're like the LL Cool J of podcasting Jimmy Moore thank you for coming back this is the medical panel of the Q&A you guys ready yeah. all right so if you have a question for the medical panel come on up here so we're gonna start off down on the end with Dr. Finney and have you guys kind of summarize in layman's term what you were trying to communicate with your talk Okay, uh, Dr. Finney, uh, the, the Cliffsnotes version of how you talk. <laughs> I wanted to make a distinction between low-carb and, and nutritional ketosis. Uh, and the term keto has been named about out a lot. I had a, a daughter who read it in college recently. While she was in college, she had a keto blog. Um, just, I thought it was fun. Uh, but, it, you know, seriously, there is a very significant distinction between being low-carb Whatever, whatever name you call it, and actually uh, individualizing nutrient intakes to the level that you actually achieve a measurable level of nutritional ketosis. And that, there are, are strong biochemical and epigenetic benefits to doing that, so that was so memorable. And let's go back over Hi, Dr. Philip Blair, and I talked about Dr. Gravelin, and the message that I have for you is cholesterol is not the issue related to heart disease and other diseases, and that statins are dangerous and do not, the benefits do not, um, there are not significant benefits due to the risk of damage as a result of statin drugs. Uh, my name is Dr. Nally, and I wanted you to know that Jenny's <laughs> 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 Um 
I, I wanted to help bridge the understanding that nutritional ketosis is different than low carb, and that nutritional ketosis um, has a significant effect on hormones, and specifically that of testosterone, and how testosterone plays a major role in our ability to maintain uh, health, uh, including weight and many disease uh, states. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ann Childers, and MD, psychiatrist, and what I wanted to tell you is that, uh, in my opinion, I think we need to regard ourselves as animals, and just as we would care for another animal and try to figure out what their needs are, I think we need to figure out what our needs are. And although we are primates, we are not, our gut is really not designed the way the guts of other primates are. We're really not meant to eat the same diet. And somewhere in our history, probably 3.4 million years ago, uh, our very, very tiny little, you know, ancestors who looked like apes but walked on two legs uh, figured out that meat was a very good thing. And it turns out that as time went on, uh, we became better and better adapted to a carnivore diet and uh, so this yeah, is really our optimal diet. And uh, although we've adapted plants to us, uh, in some ways we haven't adapted them very well. But, this, but adapting the plants actually helped us to survive it's lots of conditions, uh, so such as And if you eat closer to a carnivore diet, you're probably going to experience much greater mental health. And I found this with my patients, and uh, I hope that you uh, entertain the idea of very more for the carnivore diet, because I think you'll be amazed at what happens. Hi, I'm Jackie Everstein. And to, I want to make two points. One is that I think it's important if you are someone who's overweight or obese and has never been seriously looking at a low carbohydrate program that you get your baseline labs done before you start, so that you know where your starting point is. You don't want to come back four or five months later and say, well, I don't know why my bloods look this way, because you have no idea where you started. And so to do it intelligently, you really need to have baseline studies. And the second point is, is that you want to get baseline studies when you're younger and healthier, so that as you get older, you can see what where we used to be and start to see some more of the subtle changes that may be starting to happen to you. Don't wait until you're sick, and then you've got something else to deal with. What we really want to do is start seeing trends that you may have in your lab test that are showing you you're not yet sick, but you're getting less and less healthy. And that especially refers to your blood sugar control and your insulin control, because that affects every cell in your body and can affect all sorts of conditions, including chronic conditions. And so we really want to understand where you are when you're starting a program like this so that you can see the improvement that you can ultimately get to improve your health. You are, you are unique in two ways, because of your genes and because of how you use your genes, your epigenetics. And whereas you cannot change your genes, you can change your epigenetic marks by making the right life choices. And you can you could potentially turn a good gene on and a bad gene off. Now, if you are interested in, in carbohydrate tolerance, 
There are some genetic biomarkers of low carbohydrate tolerance, uh, but uh, the point is, is that you can override this genetic predisposition by making the right life choices. There are recent studies that show that actually um, your <coughs> carbohydrate tolerance may depend on how much carbohydrates you have been eating up, up to now, because these carbohydrates change your epigenetic marks. So go ahead, take advantage of epigenetics and learn to use your genes and don't let them use you. <laughs> Um, Dr. Howard Green, I'm the only person that did not mention the words low carb, paleo, or keto in your presentation. Well done. Um, but the takeaway points, I guess, from my presentation were uh, two things. Number one is um, if you're uh, moving on from dietary habits and in introducing exercise or activity into your lifestyle, uh, if there are issues or problems that arise, you know, feet do play a role. I'm not saying they're the only answer or the only source, but look at your foot mechanics, look at your posture, look at your gait, and see this is contributing to um, your ability to exercise, whether it's ankle issues, knee issues, back issues, uh, whatever. Um, the other thing was, if you're a diabetic, um, there's a great link between diabetes and foot issues. And if that's a uh, concern for you, uh, have it checked out and make sure you have a team uh, helping you uh, manage your diabetes and your health together. I'm Dr. Eric Westman, and I took you on a whirlwind tour of human history and the low-carb, high-fat diet. Uh, this is the way people ate for a long time until the last half of last century when several factors came into play, including the low-fat diet prominence. There is evidence now of the low-fat diet fading away and guidelines changing and low-carb, high-fat is rising through new websites, new uh, companies, new products that are available and I'm optimistic about the future because low fat is waning and low carb high fat is on the rise. I'm Erin Kay, I'm with Denver Side Doctor and I'm a physician assistant. Uh, the takeaways from my talk are uh, essentially if you help keep your gut healthy it will help keep you healthy and there are different ways to do that. Uh, some people will benefit from higher fiber plans, some will benefit from lower fiber plans. So again, individuality is key. Um, also that there is evidence that adding fiber uh, can sometimes be beneficial in helping with weight loss and uh, increased satiety. Back down to Valerie. Hello, I'm Valerie Goldstein, and um, basically, I guess my main thing is just to pay attention and get to know yourself. Um, if you are all of a sudden getting thirsty or unable to sleep or your energy levels are changing, um, you know, you can use it as a gauge. If they're changing for the better, you know you're doing something right, something positive is happening. Um, don't try to put a band-aid over things that 
it's easy to pop pill, um, to be aware because your body is communicating the telltale signs that something is wrong or something is right. So just be aware. Um, and also, um, as far as what Jackie was saying, as far as labs, you know, you don't necessarily have to wait to go to the doctor. Your body is already telling you, um, hey, wake up and pay attention. So pay attention to you and the power of you is there. Thank you, panel. So we have a whole bunch of people that want to ask you guys questions. So I would ask you guys to keep it short and to the point so we can get through all of you. I don't know how to keep it short. <laughs> uh, I've been low carb since 1999. Can you hear me? Yeah, eat it. Yeah. Uh, I, I started uh, 1999 and I very easily lost about 90, 100 pounds or so. And I, over the last, next couple of years, I lost down to about where I am now. And I've been coasting along, kind of stalled there. Um, now, as a preference, I spent almost an entire year on antibiotics. And I've been through two series of um, statin poisoning. And uh, the last one was so bad that you know, I basically now am really convinced, you know, the doctor tells me I need statins, I tell him he needs to become a doctor. <laughs> okay. So, I'm, I'm stuck here about 40, 50 pounds overweight, and I have high blood pressure, even though I've been on a fairly well-formulated ketogenic diet. I've, I've actually worked on it the last six months and dropped another 20 pounds. But uh, what do I do now? I, I don't think low-carb is the answer. I think it's a big part of the answer, but there's got to be something else. Question. Not everybody at once. <laughs> who wants to take it? Oh, Steve. I'll be foolish and say that uh, you know, first, if you've lost 130 kilos, 125 total. So. 125. How long? How many years ago? Uh, I started in 1999 and I lost almost all of it in the first three years. So that puts you statistically in the top one hundredth of one percent of people who figured out how to do this and sustain it. So the first thing is... Yes, I'm still fat! <laughs> um, you know, that's a relative term. Yeah, and don't let someone dictate to you what you should weigh. There used to be these tables called ideal body weight tables, and we should learn them. What Jeff Bowling and I decided to do was call it reference body weight, uh, not ideal. And it's just a standard in comparison. You look gorgeous. So, you know, keeping it short, blood pressure is a concern. Your statement that you uh, did a, you were a pretty adherent to a low carb pressure to a ketogenic diet. At some point, you may want to actually measure ketones through an objective measure, not through urine, but either breath or, or blood testing, um, and get careful coaching in terms of your diet to get you into and sustain nutritional ketosis and see what that does to your blood pressure. Um, it, it means using sodium, you're on a very delicate point, you're getting enough and then too much. Um, and you can't use kind of crude guidelines that you really need to 
to get coaching and monitoring that. Um, but realizing the last thing you want to do is let perfection be the enemy of awesome. And you know, you've done you've done the latter and striving for perfection is often laudable, but not something that, that you get you you did should let you get yourself down uh, and be discouraged. Maintain what you've got and then work through it. Um, you might be right where diet might not be the only factor. There may be things to do, but I think in your situation, you absolutely, 100%, unequivocally must work with um, an educated healthcare professional. Mm -hmm. None of us know who you are, um, but I will say that there are natural ways to help taper off the meds. And the meds could be the causing factor. Jackie, you probably agree with that. So if you're looking to bring down, let's say, your blood pressure and you wanted to use a supplement like magnesium or chlorine, or, or there's, a, there's a lot of different ones, but you can't do it unless you are working with a physician um, who can help you taper down the meds while you're adding those back and so, um, good luck. I hope you, you know, find somebody, maybe somebody here is, is you know, within reach or, you know, local distance of you. Um, if not, you know, you can be reached uh, very easily. So, good luck. Are you frustrated with the breath ketone devices that are on the market today? Well, let me introduce you to the brand new Level Meter. It is a simple, comfortable meter that allows you unlimited measurements for up to two users. It coincides with an Android or an iOS app to both track and trend your breath ketone data. You get detailed results displayed in the app within 15 seconds, and the monthly sensor change and calibration ensure clinical accuracy on the device. The level meter also gives you a 24-hour snap of your wellness choices, and it's great to note that even if someone is not on a ketogenic diet, elevated fat metabolism will register on the level. Anything over 2 ppm is considered elevated fat metabolism. Now, I've been using this for a little while, and I think you're going to love it too. Go to levelnow.com, that's L-E-V-L-N-O-W.com to get your level today. Now you know. Do you wish there was a life insurance company that understood your unique needs as a ketogenic dieter? Well, let me introduce you to Health IQ. Go to healthiq.com slash low carb. Use the promo code low carb when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Health IQ uses science and data to secure the lowest rates on life insurance for health conscious people, including runners, cyclists, strength trainers, and yes, even you, the ketogenic dieter. 56% of Health IQ customers will save between 4 and 33% on life insurance, and these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. Just like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. Go to healthiq.com slash low-carb and be sure to mention the promo code low-carb when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Health IQ. Thank you, panelists. Next question. My question has to do with a ketogenic diet for someone that doesn't have a gallbladder. And I've, I've heard that that is not an issue. Um, but I've also heard that if your feces is the same color as cardboard, that means you don't have enough bile. I want to know if 
anyone on the panel agrees with that? And also, could you possibly not have enough bile but not have any seeming indigestion problems? This panel has now officially gone to crap, so. <laughs> Who wants to handle the crap question? I mean, uh, that's what she asked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just quickly, uh, a stool color I wouldn't worry too much about uh, from a bile standpoint. It's going to change significantly based on what you're eating uh, from meal to meal, so that's not too much of a concern. Um, and it's true that if you have your gallbladder removed, oftentimes, the, of course, you're, you're going to start to make enough bile. Um, I'm sorry, I should clarify. The liver will make bile uh, so that you don't necessarily need that storage facility of the gallbladder. But if you are still having uh, symptoms of uh, fat maldigestion, there are supplements that help with that. Um, you can actually take bile and that can assist if need be. Um, but most of the time that will not be the case after after several weeks. Oh, it won't go that far. <laughs> okay, next question. I want to thank you all so much for, for being so generous to share your knowledge and your time and your, your work. Podcast, you are changing the life of millions of people who will never get the opportunity to thank you. So I'm thanking you on behalf of all of us. But my question is: When I consume less than 20 grams of carbohydrates per day, my eyes dry out, and my mind is so active, I have trouble sleeping. What's going on, and how can I fix it? Thanks. Um, Adam. <laughs> oh, it always comes back to the dry eyes to me. Um, yes. Dry eyes is actually a, a common side effect of early ketosis. I see that with some patients. Um, if it doesn't improve, then you may want to see the ophthalmologist. There are some autoimmune issues that can arise with chronic dry eyes, and so I would want to be, I would want to be restrained for that. Um, that, that. There are some, some very simple fixes that can be done with that. Um, in regards to the mind, um, it's interesting. I have a number of patients that, that, that when they go into uh, nutritional ketosis, actually need an hour to an hour and a half less of sleep. And so they are often used to go to bed at nine and they're, they're waking up at three or four o'clock in the morning going, what's wrong with me? There's actually nothing wrong. You're just recovering so much faster that your body is demanding less sleep. And so I would say, start writing a book. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I just want to add that, that was good. <laughs> and I just want to add that from a psychiatric standpoint, um, this is just a general thing about dry eyes. And it's really interesting. Um, a lot of times, uh, people that have dry eyes don't have enough omega three fatty acids uh, because that's part of the oil that uh, that streams over the um, over your eye during the day to keep your eyes feeling moist. So uh, I would say, in addition to what Adam said, um, it's a good plan to just have uh, enough fish oil that you get uh, your, the EPA plus the DHA equals 1,000 milligrams a day. You add those two up, just look at the side of the bottle, those two approach 1,000 milligrams a day, that's, that's a good dose. And uh, it's close enough if you get 900, if you get 1100 or 2000, that's fine too. But usually, uh, after a few months, in addition to taking care of the dry eyes, uh, after a few months, you may find a difference in your nervous system as well. You may actually feel better. Uh, so I don't know if it'll take care of a racing mind, but 
uh, I think it doesn't hurt anything by just uh, trying it and seeing if it works for you. Anybody else? Okay, we'll go to the next question. I'm Randy from Bellingham, Washington. I have a related question. Uh, one about omega-3 and six fats. Uh, people, people on a standard American diet are, have way excess uh, omega-6s so they're driving a lot of chronic inflammation. I wonder what, uh, well, first of all, for Jackie, I wonder if you ever recommend people test that, test omega-3-6 ratio or omega-3 fats. Second of all, what is, uh, maybe for Alan, what is the impact of a low uh, or a keto diet on that ratio generally? Thank you. Um, no, we never did test the ratio. Um, so many of our patients came in on just horrendous amounts of poor quality carbohydrate um, that we simply would use very frequently essential oils, essential fatty acids, and we use it for a lot of different conditions, including dry eyes. Um, after they had an exam by a, a physician. Um, so we never bothered with measuring and spending the money to do that because we made an assumption based on the diet that they were going to need to receive the supplements. And then, of course, watch symptoms and many symptoms get better when you supplement with the anti-inflammatory nutrients. Yes, she asked a question. Okay. What was the second question? I, I was so excited. Yeah, we were trying to get you to come back to the mic. What's some? <laughs> oh, the impact of a uh, keto diet on uh, ratio, 3 6 ratio. Oh, um, you know, in my, just a comment additionally, in my office, I always recommend using the uh, official supplement. In fact, we, we use it routinely, and so I never put the two together very clearly, but I rarely have a patient complaining of dry eyes, but because that's part of our protocol. Um, in the second part of it, uh, the the if you're eating real animal fat um, from a good source, that ratio naturally returns to normal or near normal. Uh, the average American has a one to twenty ratio of omega three to omega six based on the standard American diet. We're looking more for a two to one ratio is what we're shooting for, and frequently just making that dietary change effective. Uh, we do know that your grass-fed beef is equivalent in its omega-3 content to that of salmon off the coast of California if it's grass-fed. Now, if it's corn-fed, that shifts dramatically. So, if a grass-fed salmon, really? Grass-fed salmon. <laughs> grass-fed ribeye, pardon me. Grass-fed ribeye or steak out of the Midwest. Thank you. Um, That's why I'm here, brother. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, is is equivalent that way. So if you have the ability to find grass fed sources of beef and pork, then you're gonna you're gonna see that ratio naturally improve. I just want to mention that you won't find DHA in grass fed beef. Yeah. And DHA is you know, something we can't make. You really only get it from the marine food web and fish oil. So it's a fallacy that you can get the omega threes you need out of grass fed beef. It's some. But nothing close to what you get in the wild. Yeah, the brains. Yeah. You, you can actually get organ meat. That's where the organ meat comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, about 20 years of my career, I've studied very few body parts in Asia. The first thing is that it's kind of something you look at. The body, the human body, distributes the highly active. Product from exactly that, omega 6 and omega 3 differently across different tissues. And so, if you're interested in insulin 
sensitivity. Uh, if you want to look at it in skeletal muscle. By the way, uh, if the omega sixes are it's easy to, to malign omega sixes, particularly arachidonic acid, as being pro-inflammatory. But its level in your skeletal muscle is directly and positively correlated with insulin sensitivity. It was published in the Medicine in 1993. It was corroborated by a paper in the less obvious journal in 2001. It's never been uh, uh, refuted. Uh, so you have to be really, this is complex. Fatty acid metabolism is very complex. And I kind of gave up studying it because it was so complex. And nobody, nobody believed that I understood what I, I figured out because they couldn't understand what I <laughs> when you go on a ketogenic diet, we always wonder why did we see a change in the amounts of both uh, EPA, DHA, and arachidonic acid in serum and in uh, uh, fixed tissue uh, in the humans? And the answer is that the antioxidant effects of a well-funded ketogenic diet actually protect the products from degradation from the active oxygen species. And so both the omega-6 and the omega-3 will go up. Um, and I'll just, my personal opinion is that if I can avoid dietary supplements, I do. If you can do it with real food, that's better. Uh, and in terms of getting enough uh, EPA, DHA, if you eat uh, uh, four ounces of cold water ocean fish, uh, whatever your choice, uh, three times a week, that, in the context of a well-formulated ketogenic diet, will maintain uh, excellent tissue levels for most people. And I don't think testing is, is required. And again, it gives what tissue you test and, and whether it sits around in the test tube or particularly dry blood spot things where you, you put your finger put a spot of blood and a piece of blood paper is in that, that is subject to peroxidation before it ever gets analyzed. Uh, so you have to be careful about uh, such aspects of testing. But, um, uh, I would recommend the smoked salmon in the buffet on the And that's about 10% by weight fat and it's 30% omega-3. So you can do the math if you want to get um, an average of a gram a day. You know, have it three days a week. But you have two more days to, to get caught up. What you don't realize, Steve, is he sells fish for a living. <laughs> the guy that asked the question. <laughs> Good, good on you. Keep it up. Well, so my approach has been to be less concerned about minor details and more concerned about getting people started, increasing the breadth, the simplicity of how to do a low-carb diet and or a keto diet, if you will, or um, going to use that language here. So I don't have any added fish oil supplements in my plants. People use a multivitamin and eat real food. I don't make people go out and get grass-fed beef, or, or many of my patients eat at McDonald's, and they just don't eat carbs, and they do great. Um, and maybe you can fine-tune it, but I'm still waiting for a study in humans, Steve, where adding the ketogenic or well-formulated ketogenic diet uh, uh, to food quality parameters. Let's say you had total control of omega-3, omega-6 in the food. Is there really going to be a difference other than membrane function, which I know is important, and, and you've shown that in studies, but in, uh, do you really have to go that extra mile? Uh, now, so if you get started, don't worry about all that stuff. But now you're on board, you're doing this, you want to do it for the rest of your life. Maybe you should worry about that, but I, I still hold out that we don't know. And Childress, does food quality matter on a ketogenic diet? Food quality? Yeah, food quality. This is what Eric's arguing is just eat keto. Does food quality matter? 
Um, I think so. Um, I think so. And I think food quality does matter. But I also know that uh, some people uh, don't like fish or they have other kinds of sensitivities. So I also want to make sure that people know what their options are. But I agree. I think that uh, high-quality food should get you there. But when people are first starting, it's often easier just to give them a push of some kind of nutrient early on while you figure out uh, how to arrange the diet to meet their needs. So, so I'm the kind of person who might even put someone who is depressed, uh, depending on their situation, I'll put them on a medication. And meanwhile, I'm trying to reorganize their dietary approach and find out what's wrong. Are they low in iron? Are they low in magnesium? What is the problem? Try to rearrange and get them really good nutritional support and then see if I can pull off. So I'm not against starting someone on a multiple vitamin program. I have no trouble at all doing this or starting someone on uh, a good quality fish oil that has the right uh, balance until they can form a habit. And I think it's those habits that are, are going to see them lifelong and often without the need for supplements. Thank you. Oh, Valerie? I do, from a nutritionist perspective, basically it has to be practical or it's never going to work. And if you have the opportunity um, and you have the resources to um, increase the um, nutrient value via organic or grass-fed or anything like that, you can do that. You probably should do that because as, as we're talking only about DHA or eating enough salmon, there's a lot of different factors that affect what your intake is. So for example, if you can only get salmon from a store and that salmon's caught in water with a lot of mercury in it, you may opt to get supplement, you know, the, the omega-3 supplement. Um, so there's a lot more factors than just DHA um, and EPA when you're considering meats and what you're putting into your body. Um, so just think about that. If, if you obviously, if you can't um, afford supplements, or you know you're not interested in them, and you're just going to McDonald's and able to help yourselves that way, don't feel guilty. You know, don't hit yourself over the head with it. You're doing what you can do, and it's better than eating the standard American diet. <laughs> hey guys, I'm here today with the lovely, the talented, the nutritional therapy practitioner, her name, Christine Moore. What's up, Christine? Hey, hey. And today I wanted to bring you on because you learned all about healthy fats in your NTA training. And so today we have one such healthy fat. It's the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. Can you tell people why olive oil is such a healthy fat? Fats in general are healthy because we need them for healthy cell membranes to help absorb the fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K. It's needed to help keep bile flowing so it doesn't get stagnant and cause stones, and it's needed for a healthy immune system. If we have a healthy balance of fats, we don't have an improper immune response. <laughs> okay, that's all the boring stuff, but it also makes food taste amazing, it does, right? It does make food taste very amazing. And what if you got a really quality bottle of olive oil that's worth 
about 40 bucks for $1. Would that be a cool deal? That would be amazing. Well, that's what you get at jimmyoliveoil.com. You get a $39 bottle for a buck. So go there now. That's jimmyoliveoil.com. Hi, I'm Christine Moore, Jimmy Moore's wife, and I'm here today to tell you about the Nutritional Therapy Association and why I decided to go through their Nutritional Therapy Practitioner Program. I figured, well, this will be a great opportunity for me to maybe possibly be able to help people with their nutritional issues and anything that they might be going through. Just the thought of me having to learn stuff again, it was intimidating. I didn't think that I would be able to do it. didn't think that I would be able to retain the stuff that I was learning and I would have a hard time on the quizzes and the tests. The NTA is looking for more keto practitioners. They believe in real food. They do not frown upon good, healthy fats. They believe that they should be a healthy part of the diet. The most most gratifying part of the program has been getting to meet a bunch of like-minded people who are interested in nutrition. A lot of us came into this program with health issues of our own that we wanted to try to fix. The material that we're learning is just absolutely incredible. I thought I knew a lot about nutrition, but going through this program, there's so much more to it than what I actually knew. We learn about anatomy and physiology, so we learn about how things work in the body. Body, how vitamins and minerals affect the body. So it's just been a great program. Anyone should do this program. It's a nine-month program that can pretty much fit into anybody's schedule. I mean, we have people that have children, full-time jobs going through this. So it's very flexible with your schedule. If you're thinking about it and not sure, I would highly recommend you go through it. Join the Nutritional Therapy Association today at nutritionaltherapy.com. Thank you, panel. Next question. Before I uh, came on this cruise and realized I didn't need to eat as many vegetables as a vegetarian <laughs> or the rainbow and all that, um, I was miserable one day after eating a lot of vegetables and took a test called the Pinner Test. And I was wondering if anybody was, um, particularly Jackie maybe, um, was knew about it. It's a micro microarray uh, IgG test and it's expensive. It's from Europe. And it told me that I was, I thought it would come back with all these carbs. And it came back salmon, tuna, trout, and uh, sesame seed oil. Four things. None of them really carbs. <laughs> Does anybody know anything about this test and whether I should even listen to it? Is that Pinner, P-E-N-N-E-R? Yeah, P-I-N-N-E-R. Oh, Pin, okay. I heard it on the podcast, actually. The guy who invented it, he says it's the gold standard of IgG or, or and it's a microarray. That's all I really know. I'm not a medical professional. So, uh, you guys will have to help me. I think it was, was it Dr. Neely? Someone this morning had mentioned that the, the IgG test um, maybe should be taken with a grain of salt uh, because you probably were eating those proteins. Is that true? The, so these tests, uh, they're, they're supposedly looking at food sensitivity. Um, there are various degrees that they look at, usually between like a one and a four of how reactive you are when being the least or being the most 
Um, I don't see great correlation. I've got patients that want to run these tests all the time, so we'll do them, but when it comes back saying that you are you know, highly intolerant to uh, eggs or dairy, and the person says, well, I feel fine when I eat those foods, that, that happens often. So I think uh, you know, trial and error actually is more beneficial than, than these tests. Um, and whoever had said this morning that if you're eating a lot of those foods, oftentimes it will come up that you're intolerant, that, that does seem to, to happen. In the clinic of last resort that I, that I run, um, I see people coming in with all sorts of sheets of paper of tests from God knows where, and they say all sorts of things, and I say, well, that's fantastic, but just stick to these foods that, that we have. They actually tend to be um, non-inflammatory. They, they do tend to be meat-based, and, uh, um, and all those symptoms, it doesn't really matter what the symptoms were, they seem to go away. I mean, so that's why this is um, uh, such a powerful approach. So keto approach is, if you do it right, it has very few additives in the foods, very few preservatives, very few artificial dyes. Uh, you can, it's actually an elimination diet of all those things. Well, but this, it's, um, and then you have the, add the benefits of ketosis, which unlocks all of this uh, in um, antioxidant activity. Another related thing that I, that I think needs more science behind it, I, I met um, a doctor named Bill Philpott, a psychiatrist, who uh, came up with the rotation diet. And the idea was, you eat a food, you react to it. That you, and then so he came up with the idea, well, just don't eat that food, but once every three days, every four days. So some... Um, Nutrition people, alternative nutrition people, will use this rotation diet as just an empirical way to have you not build up um, reactions to those foods. Now, I've never tested it directly, but that's something that you'll read about that has some validity for the food sensitivities. Thank you, panel. Next question. Is this about right here? Proceed it. Yeah, go. Okay. I've learned over the years from professionals like yourselves uh, how to manage my weight gain, uh, fat gain, uh, muscle gain to a, to, to a certain extent. My question for you today is, given that I've got some control over that, what suggestions would you offer to me? or determining what my ideal fat uh, content might be, given that carrying a certain amount of fat is actually beneficial. Uh, and uh, Dr. Nally, you in particular, uh, what would you suggest that I might consider, and, and I'd, I'd welcome the rest of your opinions too, in terms of what my optimum uh, muscle mass weight might be uh, if my goals are if my goals are to uh, optimize my health and have good lifetime functioning mobility uh, mental physical that kind of thing um, 
from the perspective of the body composition in my office, I, I have people shoot for at least 60% of their body composition be lean body mass, that includes skin, muscle, and tissue, all that. Um, what I would say from the perspective of fat intake in general is eat until you're full. Um, if you if your diet keeps you full and you're, you're, and you're maintaining your weight and you're not noticing your pants are, um, you're having to extend the belt loop on the pants, then you're, you're good. Um, you know, we, we know optimal levels of, of waist circumference as for men and women uh, and the risk for disease that arises with that. Um, but really what it comes down to is, is how do you feel? You know, if, if your body mass index in general is, is, in, is in the appropriate range of 24 or less, if your waist circumference as a man is less than 40, um, if, you are, if you feel healthy, if you're active, if you're able to exercise to the degree that you want to exercise, and you feel comfortable, you're not short of breath, you're not winded, um, you're doing great. I, I, don't, I don't see where we have to fit to a number. Um, we have many mathematicians and accountants that feel like we do, but, um, and there are a number of, uh, of insurance company uh, uh, directors that want you to fit to a number because they can raise your premium if you don't. Um, but in reality, the big challenge is how do you feel? And if you, if, we, if you bring those numbers of body fat percentage and muscle mass up to those levels that we do know optimize general health, you're doing great. And so I, 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 I think that we can't blanket, give you a blanket number. I think it's important that we optimize that to your height, to your activity level, to your age, and where you want to be. Thank you. That was a very bland answer. Well, to satisfy those who want the numbers and, and they um, see them all over, I use three things. It's the BMI, um, but I think the BMI of 21 to 23 is probably optimal, not the 25, which gets you into overweight. I use the body fat percent. Don't know, but it's 10 teens for men, 20s for women, somewhere in there. And then what was the best weight of your life? When you were fighting weight, kid, college, army, navy, because there's that often there's that unique individual aspect to it. These reference ranges are not necessarily optimal ones. But I'd like to know what Professor Finney says about how maybe you could live longer with more fat on the body. Well, you're not going to go on Survivor, or you probably want you want to have body fat. For, you're not planning to go into a famine. I, I, so, I had read and heard that a certain amount of body fat cushioned and insulated and supported organs, and also as I age, that uh, having some, I'm sorry, having some uh, residual body fat as I age might uh, be healthy in terms of uh, if I ever have a, some type of disease or, or pathology and couldn't eat for a while. I'm going to live longer than all of you if that's true. <laughs> No. Thank you very much. Next question. Oh, wasn't Dr. Finney going oh, to... Oh, sorry. Go, Finney. Sorry. You're very incognito behind that big cowboy hat. That's okay. I, I think that uh, I would reiterate that don't let anybody else tell you what you should weigh. A functioning weight, a good, well-functioning weight for you where you have felt well in the past is probably the best guidance. And my simple soundbite for people is uh, when they're trying to lose weight, they say, well, how much should I put, what should I get down to? Uh, it sounds foolish, but it actually is useful, and that is, it's the weight you can get to without too, too much of a struggle when you get there, you still have the money. 
So is it, I hear people saying... Thank you, sir. We can't keep going. We got a million people behind you, but thank you. Next question. Hi, Susan from Calgary, Alberta. Uh, I have been on a journey for quite some time with different diets. Um, I used to weigh 100 pounds more than I am right now, more size 2X jeans. Now I'm 62 and I'm down 100 pounds less. And I used to go to the gym and do weights and stationary bike, but then I gave that up and I do year-round cycling, even in the snow and the ice and the cold of the winter. So I am exercising, but my concern is at 62, I believe that my skin isn't as resilient as it used to be. And so I'm probably speaking for a number of women especially, who probably like to look good, what do you do about the sagging thighs, sagging uh, waistline? Um, I won't go any further, but that in itself. Thank you. Is probably enough. Anyone? So our medical medical aesthetician, there actually is such a thing, medical aesthetician at Duke recommends dry brushing. Back before the body, never cold showers, never cold showers. And that's basically skin skin hygiene that your local medical aesthetician would probably be happy to help you with. She actually came to our support group in Durham and gave the unsolicited comment that the people who lose weight on your program, Dr. Westman, have the greatest skin compared to those who went through bariatric surgery. They save a lot of they, both of those are done in our area, and the skin is better. Has anyone noticed better skin on a keto diet, low-carb diet? Raise your hand, please. Hi. There you go. Yeah, that's a common thing I hear. So, uh, And then sometimes the friendly plastic surgeon down the street will be happy uh, to help out. Too. But the body's not going to tighten up that way. Oh, that, that depends. Yeah. Uh, for some people, yes. Okay. Thank you. I think that part of it is, and I know everybody wants very rapid weight loss, but I think sometimes rapid weight loss is too rapid, and your body cannot cope with the sudden change. And you might... Thank you, panelists. Give them a hand. And, and just to answer your question, if I had an easy answer to that postmenopausal sagging weight loss skin, I wouldn't be here. I'd be in the beach in the Thank you, panel. Next question. Hi, I'm Kim from Scottsdale. And my question is about uh, the MHTFRG. MTHFR. I'm oh, sorry, MTHFRG mutation. So I had that test done, and I think a lot of people are having that test done, and clients are coming to me and saying, Oh, my doctor says I have this gene mutation. So I'm curious if um, you treat for that or um, don't need to, what we should worry about. Or... I, I started screening for this a while back because I started noticing this trend. Um, and I found that if you, the MTHFR gene deficiency um, is, is a deficiency in methylene folic acid inside the cell. Um, I found it, it plays a role in neuropathy, especially with like diabetics and pre-diabetics. It plays some degree to a role in, in, weight, in weight, weight loss. It inhibits it in some cases, 
Um, I'm seeing it in psychiatric illness with depression and anxiety and schizophrenia. And so what I what I started doing is identifying it, and we just you basically give them methylated folic acid. That's that's essentially what the vitamin is that we use as our components. Um, and I find that it's about 60% of my insulin-resistant patients have it. Um, when, we, when we supplement for greater than 60 days, we start to see improvement in all those areas pretty significantly. Um, so I find it is a factor that plays a big role in my population that I deal with. Yeah, maybe I would like to also to, uh, explain what is this gene. So these are genes. And uh, it makes a protein, an enzyme in your body that is required um, to use the folate from, that you get from green leafy vegetables. So this enzyme can activate the folate you get from green leafy vegetables to active folate, which is the methyl folate. Now methyl folate, uh, you need it for building your DNA and repairing your DNA and also producing some of these epigenetic switches I was telling you about, to switch on and off your genes. So it's very important and it's required for many things. Every second in your body, two million methyl reaction happens. So this nutrient is very important. Now, 30% of the population has, uh, has this gene polymorphism, which is a substitution in the DNA sequence that then affects one amino acid of this protein and then this enzyme is weaker. So, its activity is lower and you can activate less folate from what you eat. So there are two, uh, you can do two things. First, as Adam suggests, take a supplement which is already deactivated uh, uh, methyl su supplement, so it's five uh, in methyl folate. Uh, but as a supplement, please avoid folic acid. So folic acid has been introduced in 1998, and before that, our body didn't never didn't encounter folic acid. So it's an artificial thing; it's everywhere in cereals bar and uh, uh, the, uh, so. It's really avoid folic acid. Unfortunately, in all the multivitamins contain folic acid. And uh, the problem with folic acid, uh, acid is that it accumulates in our body, and even more so for people that have this uh, weaker gene variant. So you can supplement with the uh, methyl folate, but please avoid folic acid uh, in general. Uh, and another thing that you can do, just eat more green leafy vegetables, especially if you, I mean, green leafy vegetables are not very high in carbs, right? It is only spinach, I'm not saying cookie. It's, uh, and especially for people having these polymorphisms, this can be helpful. Also, you should know if you are heterozygous or homozygous for this, so you can have, you have two copies of each gene, gene, right? So one from mom and one from dad. If you have only one copy of the weak version, then your, your enzyme activity is still, is still good. Uh, whereas if you have two copies, it can go down to 20% of the total. Uh, and uh, so you may need more, more stuff. Thank you, panelists. Give a hand.
Coming up next time on the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show, we'll have a very special treat for you next week as we feature the first Q&A workshop from Dr. Stephen Finn. Get show notes for today's episode at theliveinlowcarbshow.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review at iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show. We'll see you next time. This is a light.